Hello, everyone, and welcome to Life Told by a Stranger, the podcast where we pose the same four questions to each guest and get life advice to put our minds at rest. I'm your host, Daniela Lake, and today I'm here with Norman. Hello, everybody. So, Norman, tell us about where you grew up. I grew up in a place called Cleveland Heights, which is on the east side of Cleveland, Ohio. And it's a small suburb of a very large metropolitan city that's on Lake Erie. And we've got sort of two seasons there. One is winter and then colder than winter. (laughs) And you shovel your way out through most of it and it's dark through most of the year. But it was a fun place to grow up. There are lots of of arts and museums and culture there that I think a lot of people take for granted. I only grew up there from age sort of zero to 14 and then moved around sort of within Ohio, but then moved to the deep south when I was 14, moved to Jacksonville, Florida, which oh. was culture shock, mm-hmm. <laughs> going from, from the far north to the deep south. Mm-hmm. Why did you move? My mom was transferred. She was working for, working for the railroad. Oh. She was a, an attorney at the time, and she was transferred from her job in Cleveland to a job in Jacksonville, Florida. She was sort of given a choice between where she wanted to go, and one of the choices was Jacksonville, and the other was Baltimore, Maryland. And we had gone through several blizzards in a row in Cleveland, and anybody who's lived through a blizzard knows that there's something that you don't want to continually go through. It's (laughs) feet of snow. When you're a kid, they're okay because it means that you get to miss school frequently, but then the byproduct of that is that you're frequently shoveling a lot of snow to help get mom's car out of the driveway or see the sidewalks so that you can get to school. Um, And when I was a kid in Cleveland, we lived just within the two-mile perimeter for taking the bus to school. So it's that proverbial, I had to walk to school in snow every day, Uh. Um, even when when it, it felt like you should be indoors. So when we were given the choice, and I say we because my mom allowed me to be a part of the decision-making process, we were given the choice of of either Baltimore or Jacksonville. We thought, oh, this is a no-brainer. Go as far south as you can to whichever place has the most sunny days Mm -hmm. during the course of the year. So we paid Jacksonville a visit, and we were, we were sold on it right away. And my mom's still there, and I go back to visit, graduated from high school there, and I have a lot of friends in Jacksonville as well as Cleveland, so I feel like I've got roots in both places. Mm-hmm. So why did you move here? Here, Los Angeles, North Hollywood. I moved here to be in the entertainment business. Oh. I went to college, got a degree in history from Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., And a week after graduating from there, I moved out here to pursue a career in entertainment. I got bitten by the music bug very early in my life, very, very early, but never did much with it until my senior year in high school. And then uh, throughout college, played coffee shops, sang and dabbled in music and a little bit in theater and improv and just decided, okay, after college, I'll come to Los Angeles and see what happens. And so I've been here ever since, and that's been going on 27 years now. 
Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us about what you do now. Okay. All right. <laughs> I've got a couple of different career threads, and they're all related to the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. One is that I'm a musician. I'm a singer and songwriter. My primary instrument is the bass guitar. So I play bass guitar in a band. I also sing and, and write music for myself as a solo artist, as my own entity. And I also have songs that get placed into TV shows and uh-huh. occasionally movies, which is a lot of fun. That's so cool. So, yeah, to hear my music in a TV show is pretty crazy because that's a surreal thing. When I'm in the studio, I don't necessarily think about where the music might end up. I'm mm-hmm. usually doing it for my own listening pleasure. So that's one career track. And then the other career track is a day job that I have. My, <laughs> I'm not sure which one's the, the primary career, which one's the secondary career, mm-hmm. but I work at Universal Studios Hollywood at mm-hmm. the theme park, and I'm what's called the performance coach there. So I work with the studio guides, which is where I started on the ground level there, and I take the tours and I give the guides feedback on their tours. I assist with the training of the guides and managing the scripts and making sure that everybody's saying what they can and should say, but helping them with creating uh, spiels and stories that they want to tell about the studio when the guests come to visit and take the studio tour. Yeah, I always love the tours at Universal. So like the one that's on the... On the trams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So that's where I get to put my history degree to work. <laughs> so hopefully, ma- ma- that's the mom-approved job. <laughs> yeah, because they always talk so much about everything. Sometimes I wonder how they remember it all, but I'm, I guess it's like if they've done it so many times. They learn just, a script yeah. and many of them come with either theater backgrounds or performance backgrounds of some sort. So they've got a good skill set for memorization and presentation and performance. And it's usually what they're pursuing. Again, they've either moved to Los Angeles or they've grown up here. Mm-hmm. knowing that they want to be performers or actors. or th- Some of them are writers, some of them are directors, but they see it from the perspective of learning what it's like to be a performer, to deliver a script, or to deliver something with improvisational skill, too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the four questions. All right, sock it to me. So question number one. Yes. If you were to write an autobiography, what is one story you'd have to include? Okay. Autobiography. Okay, so this this goes back to um, why I'm on a particular career track. I often talk to friends about what was the first concert you ever saw? What, what was the first show you ever went to? And back in 1974, through the mists and sands of time, my dad took me to see the Jackson 5. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed with the Jackson 5, and, and this was before... Uh, the, the advent of a lot of uh, oversaturation through television. You had to buy one album at a time when it came out. Sometimes it was an eight track. So you couldn't really take music with you. You had to sit in your home and listen to a record, whether it was a 45 or, or a whole album. But I would listen to everything by the Jackson 5. And hopefully you're, you and your listeners are all familiar with the Jackson 5. And their, their big hits were I Want You Back and ABC and uh, The Love You Save and, and I'll Be There. And so the Jackson 5 were doing a series of shows at this theater called The Front Row, and it was a fairly new theater in Cleveland, and it was a theater in the round. So they played in the center on a circular, relatively circular stage, and the seats fanned out, and there were aisles that led down to the stage. Oh. 
They were playing a series of shows. And the night before we went, my dad had taken a group of inner city kids to go see the show. And this was also back in the days where you could walk up to the ticket booth the night of a concert and buy tickets for whatever show it was. The shows really weren't selling out in advance necessarily, and, and so it was easy to get tickets. And it was also easy to determine where you wanted to sit when you went to the show. So my dad had gone to the show the night before and had watched the show and had been there with the kids, and he knew that he was going to take my brother and myself to go the next night. So he very strategically bought tickets for the show that we went to see the next night. And so we sat on the aisle, and the show starts. House lights go down. It's a theater in the round, remember? And there, there are these aisleways leading down each section. The lights come up, and there's one member of the band at the top of each aisle, and the top of our aisle is Michael Jackson. <laughs> and the music starts, and they all come running down the stairs, each on their aisle. And Michael's on our aisle, and he stops and shakes my hand. Oh, my gosh. And for a five-year-old kid in 1974 at his first concert, my mind was blown. I, I was beyond flabbergasted. And just thought, this is, this is it. This wow. is amazing. It's Michael Jackson. He's real. He's, uh, this is a real person. I'd seen him on TV. Listened to all the albums. I had all the fan club junk that you could get, the stickers, the pictures, whatever it was. And um, the, the concert was fantastic. They were touring. Their big hit at the time was a song called Dancing Machine. And Michael had developed this dance called The Robot and, and, and so after the show, I was at home trying to do the robot all the time. And there was a sequence in the show that featured strobe lights where the lights would flicker on and off. So I would get home and, and I would try to recreate the strobe effect using flashlights. So hitting them on and off and on and off and on and off. And I would go into my bedroom and flicker lights on and off, <laughs> on and off with the light switch. And I think I drove my mom crazy with it. But I just, I was obsessed with music and obsessed with specifically the performance aspect of a performer like Michael Jackson who could sing and dance. And not that I'm anywhere near that, but it was just the inspiration of seeing somebody like that in person perform at such a young age. He was young too, but uh, for myself being young, just uh, having uh, an eye-opening experience. And the other thing that it made me appreciate as I've gotten older, is what parents will do to entertain their children or to share experiences with their kids. Because I know my dad liked the Jacksons' music and appreciated Michael Jackson, but it also gives you an appreciation for what your parents are willing to tolerate. Because, you know, every once in a while I'll talk to people, and yeah, my parents took me to see whatever concert, and I go, wow, your parents were patient, because I don't know if I would have taken somebody to see that show, or, or you know, there are peers of mine who, who went to see concerts, I think, ah, that's, that, I don't think my mom or dad would have taken me to see that, but <laughs> the, the fact that, that, that my dad took me to see the Jackson 5 was pretty cool. And I have since talked to classmates, uh, peers, who are also at that show, and they all have, we all have the same 
vivid memory of, of how amazing that show was. And this was long before Thriller, and it was long before Off the Wall, so nobody knew how big Michael Jackson was going to become. But for us little kids living in the hood back mm-hmm. in 1974, we already kind of knew that, that he was already our guy. Wow. So that, that, would be, that would be a story that I feel that, that would be a part of my autobiography for those reasons um, that A, what an inspiration, uh, and B, what a special thing uh, when, when you've got uh, an opportunity like that at an early age or at any age to, to meet people that are going to inspire you. Yeah, that's a great story. Wow. Shook your hand. Wow. Time has, has gone on, and, and I look back on that and, and listen to that music. And, and I'm such a huge fan of music uh, that I associate music with everything in my life. With, uh, with that period of time and, and all the way up to today, I still, I, w- I will probably leave here and go home and listen to, <laughs> now I'll have to go home and listen to some Jackson 5 or some Michael Jackson. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Question number two. Yes. What do you value the most in a person and why? I value somebody's ability to, to be open to other people and to be tolerant of other people and to be open to opinions and to be open to who other people are. And that's sort of the, the big boilerplate uh, answer, but I'll, I'll get micro with it now. As a kid, and your, your listeners will not be able to see me necessarily, uh, but I, I've got mixed parents, or I'm mixed, but I've got a parent who is, who is African-American and a parent who is Caucasian. But as a result, I don't necessarily look like either. And as a kid growing up, people didn't know. Like, the basic question I would get would be, what are you? Not, you know, how are you, or what are you up to, but what are you? As, as if I was from a different planet. People would come up and start speaking foreign languages to me or assume that I didn't speak English, uh, which is really curious. <laughs> because as I've done my research for my family trees, I, I know that both sides of the family have been uh, here in the States for a minimum of 200 years. Wow. So it's, it's been a fascinating journey. What I valued in people and in friends was that they didn't care or if I meet people now, people who, that, that's not even on their mind. And that's something that I value in people when I meet people who just, they would rather know about somebody or where they're from as opposed to what they're, they're taken for at face value. And as a result, it's helped inform me I, I'm in, definitely imperfect at this, because, but what it helps remind me of is to not prejudge people when I see them and meet them because I have no idea where they're from or what their history is or what their challenges are or what they've dealt with. So to, to bring it back around to, to why I value that in, in people, uh, I, I love it when people are diplomatic and polite and, and it reminds me to be my best self as well with other people. And to be tolerant of people, regardless of where they come from, regardless of what their backgrounds are, because we've all got our journeys and we've all got our hang-ups. But it can start with what people see first, mm-hmm. which is what we look like. Unfortunately, yeah. that's, where, that's where people begin. Um, but everybody's, everybody's got... <laughs> what 
they look like. And that's one thing that we, we can manage mm-hmm. in our interactions with people. Yeah. Okay. Question number three. Yes. So putting aside money, mm-hmm. fear, and insecurity, what is one thing you would love to do if there were no stakes and you had all the freedom in the world? I know what answer you're, you're, you're not going to want to hear. So I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to avoid saying that I would want to travel or time travel. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to avoid those. Um, time because... travel is okay. It's just everyone <laughs> says travel. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I think there's a, there's a reason why. I think because as you get older, you get into the day-to-day routine of, of work or life, and you think, oh, I haven't been to that place or I haven't been to that place. But I do have an answer for you that doesn't require traveling, although time travel would be cool because you can always use more time. I love to look for record albums, and this relates to music again, and do something called crate digging. So crate digging is when you go to a record store, and we're talking about records, vinyl albums, right? Mm -hmm. And you rifle through them. You just look through the album covers and go through bin by bin at record stores, usually used record stores because there aren't a lot of new records out there in comparison and you just go through and look for what you're looking for and it is a to most people a time waster but I've never met a record store that I didn't like where I couldn't spend 30 minutes to three hours just going through record bin after record bin after record bin and it's not that there's a holy grail out there there's no particular record album I'm looking for for anybody or 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 any artist but it's something that I can do on a day-to-day basis. And one of the first jobs I ever had was working in a record store. And I got the job because I hung out there so frequently. Mm-hmm. So when I finally interviewed for the job, the guy, the manager was kind of like, yeah, you, you kind of already live here. <laughs> we, we know you. You already go through the 45 section on a weekend basis. Um, so if I had all the time in the world, I would... I would travel everywhere and go to every <laughs> record store and, and just rifle through things. And I don't know as if I'd necessarily need to buy things, but just to, to go through it. And there's something about um, record albums that for me as a kid, growing up, we didn't have a lot of record albums either. So we would have a handful, and I don't know if you have... LPs, record albums, vinyl. Do you have any? No. Do you have any record albums? We have to get you into vinyl. It's a rabbit hole. Um, but the, the albums themselves, the packages are like 13 by 13, 12 by 12 inches. So you get this big work of art or a big picture of the band or the artist. And usually on the back there are the liner notes, the people that participated in making the record or maybe the lyrics to the, to the record or the, the songs. And then you've got the big shiny record that's inside of it. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you have to kind of take care of. And you put it on the record player and you put on the record and you sit there and you listen to the record and you, you stare at the album cover. And there's something very zen about doing it. Or you get up and you dance to it, which <laughs> is what I did as a little kid with all of the Jackson 5 records. And, and there's something very either calming or exciting. Maybe it's a combination of the two. But that's something that I would, I would love to do. Yeah. Love to do that. <laughs> they actually have a bunch of record players on sale now. Like, 
at stores like Urban Outfitters. And now they make records of albums that are out now. Yeah. Popular artists that are doing stuff right now, they just put on a record. But it's not the same as the... It's not the same as it was, but it's getting there. There, there are a lot of artists that are putting out albums only on, on vinyl or they're doing digital things. Um, um, there have been a number of, of artists that, that are new that are putting things out on vinyl. Um, got the new Kendrick Lamar this past year on, on vinyl and the uh, new Rolling Stones. So there, there are artists, new and old, that are putting out albums. And yes, yeah, um, you can buy record players nowadays. Mine's a, mine's a vintage old, <laughs> old, <laughs> old, old, old turntable. Um, but again, it's, it's partly a hobby, but partly because it's uh, the, the industry that I work in, I feel as though it's an excuse. <laughs> okay, question number four. What is the greatest piece of advice you have to offer? Appreciate miracles. And they can be everyday miracles, like hanging out with friends or a good cup of tea. They, they can be really small things and be thankful for them, or they can be really good, big things. Um, but being appreciative of the fact that, that they can and do happen. And there, there are a lot of challenges uh, every day, uh, but you know, every day there, there's at least one thing that you can find, I'm sure everybody can find, to be, to be thankful for. And the least of which is, whoo, I woke up this morning. This concludes the first season of Life Told by a Stranger. I just wanted to thank everyone who's been listening, whether you just started listening now or you've been listening since the first episode. We are not over yet, so thank you guys and stay tuned.